don't be afraid to go first, right? Mm. Provide value first. And everything is a relationship. It's, there's no B to C or B to B. It's all human to human. Mm. And so if you're able to find a way where you're providing value right out of the gate, your close rate and conversion rate and the whole experience is just going to be better throughout because you, the more that you invest up front and the more value you provide, the, the more that you're going to extract out of that and everybody's winning. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with yours, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time to chat with us. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, John Taggart. Um, John is a, a bit of an introduction, used to be in a band and he even signed and I think went on tour for a bit of time or you signed to go on tour and then it crumbled or it uh, fell apart a little bit as you're going on tour. So you were left without a tour, but you were left with a lot of debt. Um, and then with that shifted gears a bit, still in the music industry, but when I, I think to the kind of the ringtone industry, you started with that to uh, sign independent contractors that could sell it. Um, business didn't go as, as well as you'd want. So that crumbled after a few years, but then decided to go into a digital or website development design company and a bit into digital marketing as well. So, that kind of led you to where your journey to where you're at today and uh, going over that also working on some courses on how to get started and grow a business. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, John. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I gave just that high level brief introduction of the pod or of not the podcast of you and uh, went through a little bit of your journey, but maybe now take us back in time a bit. Tell us about what it was like to be in a band, sign on tour and start, start us there with your journey. Yeah, I promise you it sounds way cooler than it actually was. <laughs> it does um, sound pretty cool to be, I mean, to see that, hey, we're a bad, we're a side to go on tour. It does sound cool. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so I mean, I've always had that entrepreneur spirit, probably similar to you. And so I just leaned towards music. I love playing drums and playing shows and just got hooked on it. So decided to see if I could take it to the next level and really treat it like a business and Hit goals of got signed to a small little independent label, did a tour, did a music video. Um, and fortunately, the band broke up on the first tour, but hit some goals. And that really was a fun experience and really eye opening to just how to hustle. And if you set your mind to something, you really can go grab it. Mm. So, now, question. So, so walk us through a little bit. So, you're on the, you've got, a, you're in a band, you've signed on tour. And, you know, that's, I would imagine for a lot of bands, that's exciting in the sense that, you know, you get to go tour, you get to do something that, you know, some bands only dream of if they're playing in the dive bar or the, you know, whatever place they might be that they, hey, we get to go tour, see our fans and whatnot. But, uh, you know, how did that play out? It sounded like it didn't, it didn't <laughs> end as well as it started and kind of what happened there that kind of fell apart and caused you to pivot. Yeah, so we had a a great local following, but as you know, you got to expand. So we had booked a tour where we would play with local bands in each city across the nation. Mm. Um, and so we booked that. And it's really, we have no fans. People are, don't know about us. They're not coming to see us by any means, but we're just trying to get out there and really just grind. Mm. Um, and I remember we played a show in Atlanta, Georgia. I think it was like a 2,000 cap room. And every band had canceled. And so it was just us and literally the sound guy that played his show because no one told us. So that, that was the type of tour, which is just rough, where I think our per diem was like 10 bucks a day, maybe. 
So it's, you're just trying to do anything to survive and just get to that next level touch, uh, get enough fans to then go on tour number two, but that all fell apart and being on tour is tough, especially if you're struggling, just getting out there. Um, it's, it's hard work, but kind of everything is when you're just starting out, especially startup business. Um, I don't care what it is, but it really is just go and mm. kind of figure it out along the way. Cause I feel like a lot of this is we're all just making it up as we go, but you want to make the best decisions of course, and mitigate as much pain as possible. Um, so it was a really, really great experience. It was difficult. And then when it ended, it was just kind of left with this. Okay. I thought this was, I went all in and now it's gone. Now what? Mm. Um, and so that's what kind of transitioned me. Let me see if I can apply this to something else. So, yeah, and that was going to be my next question. So, I mean, you, you tried the tour, you tried to do the band, you know, it didn't, it didn't work out in the sense that, you know, a little bit when no, none of the bands that are the local bands that are going to have the draw <laughs> work out. I'm sure it's hard to, if people never heard of you aren't, you know, aren't on, you're not on their radar. They're not likely to go buy a ton of tickets for the, the tour, but so, you know, that kind of started to crumble or fall apart and you're saying, okay, now what do I do? What is my, you know, what do I do next type of a thing? How did you land on the, the business of doing ringtones and kind of trying that out? Yeah, so this was back, I want to say 2005, 2006 era where ringtones, everyone wanted a ringtone. So I decided why not? And everything at that time with ringtones was all just major artists, of course, everyone you know. So I thought, why not create a platform where independent and unsigned artists could come on upload their mp3 on our website create the ringtone and the platform would create those ringtones and then they could sell it directly on our website mm. um, and then we would just take a small percentage so we really tried to be like ringtone distribution for independent unsigned artists um, and that i think people just saw we met with investors we were trying to raise money uh, i think i was 19 20 at the time and mm. we met with like guitar centers executive and uh some bigger producers and it just you could kind of see the writing on the wall there was a fad so that kind of fell apart and uh kind of led me to the next venture which was so similar but one was, question on that because i think you said you did it for three years is that right you tried to make it go of it yeah that sounds about right two or three so, years and so you know if, if you haven't what did you get a product out were you selling did you make any yeah, money we, off were, of it? we were out and it was uh it was making money obviously nothing life-changing but we just knew just with development costs and marketing and advertising that we just needed an influx of cash that a struggling musician that just you know went through a band breakup just i didn't have the resources so we really needed an influx of cash to get it to that next level to get an acquisition essentially now one one more question just on that that'll keep on with your journey you know yeah. when you go and try and pitch investors and you're trying you know you're 19 20 years old was it that you were the, the investors thought you were too young they didn't like the idea that they they didn't have enough market for it they didn't see the potential kind of what was the yeah. What do you think the, the, the reason was that they're saying, you know, they, that they passed on or didn't want to invest in it? I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure age was definitely a factor. Um, I, I definitely looked at much younger then. I, no one really ever said that. It was more talking about, hey, what have you built? What's the technology? What's your plan? Here's your walking through the business plan. So I didn't really get the sense and I, I would imagine it played a part, but it was more of, hey, we want to see see how ringtones play out. And it was really looking back, they could tell that, hey, we think this might be just a fad and it's probably just too risky for us to get involved. So where it landed with pretty much everyone was like, hey, we want to 
wait and see what happens with you guys for a little bit more time and then they ended up being correct mm. so so now you so you tried that for a while you made a little bit of money but it never really took off in order yeah, to nothing. and i'm still working day job just mm. trying to make ends meet i've got this tour van that i'm driving as my daily driver it was it was an so, interesting and what did what were you just out of curiosity what were you doing as a day job as you were trying to get that up and going just random office corporate stuff nothing just anything really um i could get my hands on that was that would pay the bills so so now you so you you do that for a couple of years and you know you know two or three years you try and make a go of it you just can't get the investment dollars you can't get it off the ground to where it's going to support you enough and say okay probably time to move on so to speak so then as you're trying to figure out what the next thing is, how did you land on Because I think that kind of brings you a bit more to where you're at today of web yeah. development and design and those type of things. How did you kind of transition to there? So when that kind of went under, when I knew, okay, this is just, it's it's time to throw in the towel. I was once again, uh, second time being in this place. And I guess like once you go through a breakup once, you're, it's a little bit easier the second time. <laughs> Um, and so it was a little bit easier, but again, I was left with this, okay, what am I going to do? Um, and I was fortunate in this next phase where someone knew I had this technology and they wanted to start a ringtone company. Uh, so they essentially brought me on and acquired the technology and we ended up turning their idea into essentially what I wanted to build out, um, with not only ringtones, but having an entire platform, um, like social media um, specifically for independent and unsigned artists, since that's what I was on, I can relate to it. So we're really trying to create a platform that would shine light and um, on these artists that normally don't get the attention they deserve. Um, so I did that for about three or four more years. And then that kind of, the investors didn't want to put any more money into it. And it was just, it fell, once again, fell apart quickly. And during that time, we had used agencies to build everything out for us from web design, development, um, SEO, everything. We worked with an agency. So I got a firsthand look of what this looks like when you're working with an agency. So that client agency relationship. Um, and when that fell apart, I go, man, I just feel like I could do this better than what our experience was with these guys. Um, and so I literally just decided I'm going to start a web design development agency. And so... <laughs> Uh, I learned how to like take templates and start so to one question them. on that. Cause you, you decided yeah. that, but how did you come out of every, it was just out of, Hey, we've had other agencies do it. You know, we've had other people do it. It couldn't be that hard and I'll try it out. Is that kind of the thought process or how did you kind yeah, of, Yeah, well, I've always been involved with tech in some capacity always. Like I've always been drawn to it. So um, I started when I, when at the last company, I was really trying to like get my hands dirty and just like HTML and like, okay, if we need a landing page, why don't I just try and create it? Um, so it's literally just Google open and trying to figure out like, what am I, what's my problem? And slowly but surely I was able to do, make something look decent uh, using templates. And then from there, I was like, you know what? Let's just go feet first and start an agency and see if I can do this myself. And so it was kind of, I didn't really have much of a choice. I knew I didn't really want to go back to your typical corporate life. So I figured uh, this is a great opportunity to just jump feet first in and really, you know, throw my punches at her. So, and so now you, and then you said you started taking classes, you kind of tried to figure out your own websites out, got a, a you know, a foundation under you. And then, you know, how did you start to 
get clients or build a business or reach out to people or kind of how did you start yeah. to grow something? So uh, fortunate with that again. So another um, PR agency we were using at the time, hmm. uh, I was just talking with him. We ended up becoming really good friends. And I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm kind of pivoting. He's like, hey, I might have a client for you. So he just referred me a client. And I, I never put together a proposal. I had no idea what I was doing. What do I charge for this? I think I, for their first website, like e-commerce, I was like, yeah, 1500 bucks. And like, okay. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then it was, okay, I got to figure out what I'm doing now. Mm. And, so, then so you, and so, no, and that, that's a great way to launch. And hey, so I got a client. I think I got a client for you. Do you want to do it? Sure. How much are you going to charge? Well, I'll charge 1500 Great. That's probably a lot cheaper than what they were paying everybody yeah, I, else. So. I couldn't tell you where that number came <laughs> from. It just felt right. Um, and so I just, I made a decision to go, hey, there's no looking back. Let's just figure this out as we go. So, so then you started, you know, and I assume then you start to build a client base and you start to build it around there and you're still doing that today. Is that right? Or at least in yeah. part, that's what you're doing. Yeah, so it's the same agency as God, it's been almost 10 years, I want to say. So now you, so, and then I think it's, and that kind of dovetails my last question, next question, which is looking kind of forward now to the future of kind of what's next or what are you going to do in the next, you know, next six to 12 months, how are you going to grow? I think you mentioned you're going to start doing some courses and, and start to offer that as, as, as part of what you do. Yeah. So I obviously have the agency side of things, which is great. Um, but I really want to create a course to train people like myself that want to have an agency and to really walk them through from A to Z from how do you put together a proposal? How do you market yourself? How do you, uh, what agreements do you need? Um, how do you hmm. generate business, right? What's your lead magnet going to be? How do you handle clients? How do you handle difficult clients? How do you make sure you get paid, right? All the stuff that I've learned over 10 years um, to really try and fast track people that want to get into it, just not sure where to start and how to avoid some of the nonsense I got myself into. No, and I think that sounds exciting. And, you know, it's interesting because we, we're doing a bit in a different way and a, a different approach are doing that with the law side as well in the sense of, you know, there are a lot of times we get clients that come in and they say, okay, I've got a prototype. We help them with the patent. And then it's kind of like, now what? What next? You know, kind of what do I do with this? And so we started to a little bit of kind of along the similar lines is uh, – to, you know, say, here's how you go, you know, here's some contacts or ways you start going about product development and prototyping and manufacturing. And how do you do all these various things that you really need to get it started on a, to start a business. And yet there isn't a manual. You don't just say, oh, how do I start a business? I go do these things, it's, you know? And so I think that there's a lot of value in helping people to understand and here's the steps and here's some guidance along the way that will help them to actually learn from the mistakes of others and, and be, have an increased likelihood of success. Yeah, exactly. And so all these little things, like I wish I would have brought on like recurring revenue earlier because I didn't want to host and maintain sites because I just didn't want to deal with it. And mm -hmm. I thought, oh man, it's just these small little $1,500 a month recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. Turns out I wasted years and thousands and thousands of dollars by just not doing, you know, some of the, what seemed like hard work that just isn't. And so it's really trying to fill those potholes for people before they hop into it and give them a, a roadmap of here's what works for me and here's why. So that, and so I think that makes good sense. And I, you know, I, I think that, you know, learning from those or figuring out how to continue to grow things and pivot in the future definitely is a, a great place to be. Well, as we start to wrap up, you know, we talked a little bit through your journey and I always ask two questions at the end of the podcast. So we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, so along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? I'm going to have to say, I can't believe I jumped the gun on this, but it really was the recurring revenue piece. 
mm-hmm. um, where there's this, and this is this mentality that I have of you think just short term where it's like, oh, 50 bucks a month, that's not going to do anything. That's not going to move the needle. But when you start to get 50 or 100 of those, it just compounds. And now uh, I'm in a place where I'm able to diversify. So with the hosting and maintenance and this recurring revenue that I thought was just peanuts, turns out that if I have a down month, that kind of protects the nest egg um, and keeps revenue going. So that would probably be the dumbest decision I made is just avoiding some of the the diversification of revenue streams. Hmm. No, and I think that, you know, it's interesting. It seems like that's where a lot of businesses are going is, hey, it's, you know, it can be, especially in the service industry, if you're always having the revolving door, always having to fig- generate new clients, generate new work. And if you, you know, once you kind of cut it off, if that's the end of it, it makes it for a little bit more feel like you're on the hamster wheel or, you know, a gerbil wheel, so to speak. And if you can say, hey, now how can we keep the client for longer? And that can be everything from reoccurring revenue. It can be offering expanded services, offering a service they'll need multiple times. But those type of things, I think, often go overlooked. And yet they can be a valuable stream of revenue for the business. Well, yeah. And the little secret, too, for me, at least with that, like hosting and maintenance side of my business, is that it keeps the relationship with the client active. And so... When they have a good experience with you for like, if it's an emergency situation or just anything that you respond quick, whatever it might be, I can't even tell you how many referrals I've got just from hosting and maintenance that we've responded quickly to their emails. And so now that trust has developed and now they're referring me to other potential clients. Hmm. No, and I think that there, there's a good point in there in the sense that, you know, that's one of the things that kind of, again, on that is everybody, you know, keeping that relationship alive, keeping them in yourself front of mind and in touch with them is way that now when they need that next thing, when they, they'll think of you. And if they, on the other hand, if it's been years since they've done it, or it's been a while or months or years of that, then you're less on forefront of mind. And they may not, when they need that service, think of you, not because you didn't do a good job and they didn't or have a good relationship. It's just, you're not forefront of mind. So I think yeah, that that's- Out of sight, out of mind. Point. So that would be for sure. When I look back, I just kick myself with going, how much opportunity that I missed, but hey, what is the saying that when's the if when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago or right now? Yeah. Right. And so the that's definitely one of those things where those those little hidden diversifications of revenue can really add up to really big potential. Hmm. So now we're jump to the second question that it, it probably dovetails off the first, but if you were to if you're talking now to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Profitability. <laughs> Um, but it, probably deeper than that is really, really thinking about the value that you can provide, right? Mm-hmm. So before I, a client invests any dollar with me, before they invest anything, I spend about two hours with them. Um, and we map out, we do what we call a customer avatar discovery session. So mm-hmm. we figure out exactly what their ideal customer looks like and what that customer needs to see and read on the new site and experience in order to have the best chance of success. Because I don't build websites for my clients, I build it for my clients' customers. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by all this is don't be afraid to go first, right? Mm -hmm. Provide value first. So everything is a relationship. There's no B to C or B to B. It's all human to human. Mm -hmm. And so if you're able to find a way where you're providing value right out of the gate, your close rate and conversion rate and the whole experience is just going to be better throughout because you, the more that you invest up front and the more value you provide, the, the more that you're going to extract out of that in everybody's winning. No, and I, and I think that, you know, 
Uh, the one thing you touched on, it wasn't necessarily the only or the, the main point is, you know, one of the things I had to learn was, you know, you can build a really cool looking website that doesn't do anything right in the sense that it doesn't convert people. It doesn't really give them a call to action. It doesn't do it or have any return, but it looks great, you know, and that's yeah. now my that's one of my favorite pastimes. Now that I've got into that is going mm -hmm. to law firm websites, but there are a ton of law firm websites that they look awesome. They look really nice and professional. And it's like, well, I don't know how much it's going to cost. I don't know how to get a hold of them. I don't know what I'm supposed to do if I do want to get going. And it's like, because they don't provide anything, but it looks really cool. And it's like, no, you need to actually provide that value. So I think that there's definitely yeah. a, a good a point there. The look is important just for trust, but really people buy what they read. Mm. And I see so many businesses that want like video backgrounds and they care about all these things that are not necessarily unimportant but really spend the majority of your time crafting their headlines. What's the value? Who are you speaking to? And what, what are their problems? And what is their current situation? And how do you get them to their desired situation? And the only way you can do that is through copy. And so test your copy and make sure that you're designing something for your end user mind. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's a great, great advice and great feedback. Well, just before we wrap up, this is a reminder to people, we are going to do the bonus question where we talk a little bit about intellectual property. So before people uh, stop listening, if you want to hear some great, uh, great insight into intellectual It'll property. It'll be a good one. <laughs> It'll be a great one. So <laughs> stay tuned. But if, if you don't have interest in that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the journey and uh, we'll, uh, with that, if people want to now reach out to you, they want to find out more about your services, they want to be a client, they want to be a investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to connect up to you find out more? Yeah, best way is my website, taggartmediagroup.com, T-A-G-G-A-R-T, mediagroup.com. All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out to you, find out more. And if they're in need of a website, uh, definitely check out your services. I appreciate well, that. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And uh, for all of you that are listeners, if you don't listen to the bonus question, but uh, make sure to, uh, if you ever have, if you ever want to tell your journey and be a guest on the podcast, just go to inventive journey or in, inventiveguest.com. If I can uh, not <laughs> inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. If uh, also make sure if you listen and listener to make sure to click subscribe so you get notifications as all our awesome episodes come out and leave us a review so new people can find us. Last but not least, go to if you ever need any uh, patents or trademarks or anything with your business, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time to chat with us. So with that, we'll wrap up. We'll transition over the uh, the bonus question. So now that uh, now you, the shoe's on a little bit the other foot, I always get asked the questions during the normal episode, but now I give the microphone <laughs> over to you, so to speak. So with, uh, you know, what is your top or number one intellectual property question? So I wanted to hear your thoughts on what kind of your, I guess your, your opinion on uh, software patents. Because the way I look at it is, man, patenting math seems like a, a, quite a leap. And especially the guys that just obviously sue everyone under the sun. But in terms of just how software patents are structured, I'd love to hear your opinion on them. Yeah, and that's, 
it, and that's a, a softball question. So thank you. No, uh, oh. but, <laughs> so I do. I've done a lot of software patents. That's why I say it's a, it's a softball question in the sense that you know I worked for a long time. You know, prior to starting my own business, I worked for some of the biggest law firms, and they had some of the biggest clients. So I did Intel, I did Red Hat, I did Amazon.com, all of which were I had a lot of software. And even now with my law firm, we don't. It's not as much name recognized, but we do a ton of software for startups and small businesses. And to your point, you know, it's not necessarily necessarily the math if all you're doing is a plus b equals c you know when you go and you say okay we've forever people did a plus b equals c on a on by hand and now i'm going to stick that on a computer that's really not a software patent in the sense and you're not gonna be able to get a patent on that where it's gonna where a lot of times it come in or comes in more is let's say you know as an example i'll give you an example so one of the businesses i've done on my own so uh, is uh, or that i started on or started was with wearables and that has a lot of software behind it but it's more of as an example the wearables were originally and it's pivoted a bit was for hydration monitoring for athletes and for people that run long distances do wearables that are for hydration and some of the things are how do you do all the analytics so once you go you have a sensor you take some measurements and then once you do those measurements what do you do with the data how do you analyze it how do you make a determination are they hydrated are they not hydrated you know are they going through a dehydration event are they overhydrated and how long can they or before we should or call someone or give a warning. And so a lot of that is going to be under software, but it's not necessarily the lines of code, which are too deep and it's not high enough level to just, Hey, we want to give everybody alert of, you know, hydration. And it's so high level that anybody would do that, but it's kind of that, how you go about doing it, how I make the, how I get the data, how I do the analytics, how I provide the notifications, who do I provide the notifications? Am I communicating between devices? So between a server that does the analytics, the wearable and a phone. And so it's that kind of, thing when you get into a lot of software that is you know similar on when i did intel is another example is on the chip level they have a ton of security so that you don't get hacked right so that, that way somebody doesn't intrude into your computer they don't take it over and they don't steal all your data and so that was one of the things they did with intel but there's a lot that goes into it how do you set up your software so that it, it doesn't allow for intrusion how do you get secured areas that simply can't get into the system and there's a lot that goes into that so that's where the software again it's a lot of the implementation and the how right. the, well, it's what if it's like, value of the software what if it's like 90 percent the same but i just tweak some things in the code it's like well yeah it, it doesn't do like is that violating a patent it depends on how broad and narrow the patent is right. in the and i know that's that, an unfair question because of legal stuff but i'm just i'm trying this is the one thing that's always gotten stuck with me is like how do you patent a loading bar Right or stuff like mm -hmm. where I go this, at the end of the well, day. Let me, yeah, let me give you an, maybe another example is that I worked on or in a previous or previous firm was with uh, Google, and so you think of. Um, you know, the little window, you know, when you're watching, you know, Netflix or Amazon or or YouTube or anything else, you have, you can normally watch on the big window, some you know, with the, some of the newer phones, you can swipe out and it'll just have a little window so you can multitask, right? So you can do it. But how do you, it's not that, you know, it's, they don't just patent the concept, take a big window on a phone and make it a little, you know, a little window. That one's probably, if you were to you put <laughs> a patent on it, but if they're to take now, how do you make it so that it determines what, you know, when you're exiting it out, when you're intending to or watching on little phones or little screens such that you're doing other things how do you move it around what size should it be what aspect ratio should it be should we adjust the volume or should we mute it or not mute it how do you exit out of it and all of those kind of determinations are what they go into now to your question is you know how can you know if i make a small tweak let's say i move the x bar you know if i move the where that i click the x 
you're probably going to have an issue because they've covered that broad of a thing. So they get a, a fairly conceptually, if you're saying what is a unique or novel thing that my software is doing, how is it different? That's where you focus your patent. And then you can usually get fairly broad or reasonable coverage on that. It's a hard question to answer because yeah, no, I know. What do you think would happen? But go ahead. What would what would your opinion be if software patents just were gone, obliterated? You can't patent software. It's impossible. Like what what do you think would happen with just kind of the industry as a whole? So let me ask the question. I'll flip the question to you. What would you do if you didn't have a cell phone anymore? Well, I mean, <laughs> we kind of died. Or what would you do if you didn't have the internet anymore? But the internet didn't start because of patents, and it's certainly no, 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 no. And I'm not saying. But the question would be is. The, where, where, and I'll give you the reason for the question is if you, a lot of the motivation for people creating the internet, for creating phones, for creating apps is monetary incentivizing, right? In the sense that they want to be able to make a compensation for making your iPhone. 1,000%. But, no, and I, and I'm, so then the question is, is if you were to take all software patents away and now you can make, it was in a world where as soon as I get a great, created a great, software whatever it is application on the phone you know whatever that is whether it's uber and their how they do theirs whether it's google and their search engine take all that away and say yeah if you can figure out how to copy it you can compete then is there that same monetary i'm going to go out and compete in the marketplace or you're going to say i'm going to if i'm the first one i'm going to put a ton of time money and effort behind it i'm going to be the first one to figure out how to do it how to program it but then somebody's going to copy me and then i'm out of business does that make sense yeah, but let me ask you this then, right? So, sure. and maybe this is a horrible analogy, but I'm very curious. <laughs> so you got KFC, right? There are 11 mm-hmm. herbs and spices that I'm sure is patented. It's but actually I, a trade secret, but go ahead. Yeah. Yep. But I have every right to try and figure out what it is and open up my own chicken seasoning, mm-hmm. right? Sure. If I can look at code and go, oh, let me try and make my own. Like, how is that violating a patent? And how is that bad for the internet? Because so, how, first of all, you have to have code to, to look at, right? If KFC said, if I, if everybody could go and it, let's give it a different, because KFC is really a brand, right? And so that's a lot of the reason. Because there are other places that sell good chicken. You go to KFC because you like the brand. So the, yeah. I think the more analogy, or better analogy would be is if you go to KFC and now everybody could start their own KFC. They could take the exact logo, same name of the company, and go start their own KFCs everywhere. Would KFC have the same incentive to build a business, to franchise? Would they be able to franchise? have as many locations and it's hard when you're if your brand or let's say you're pepsi or coke and somebody started selling pepsi and they just started re- making the exact same label you can't no there would be no financial incentive to build a business totally, and totally so that's where that. i think that now the, the question is just is, when it gets the code and math i go <laughs> uh, i don't is this holding back industry or oh, is this where is going yeah, where it's going to take that is the question is, is you're saying once if I can look at their code and how to tweak it, you have to that assumes that the code is already there, right? That they've already figured it out and you're building on top of it, as opposed to if you go and code something yourself and you figure out a new and something different that hasn't been done. No, no barrier to entry to you. It's only if you're saying I've, I'm taking what it, somebody else has done, building on top of it, than the person that originally. Yeah, yeah. Figured Sorry, it that's, out. that's not I didn't mean like actually take their code. <laughs> But no, no, but I'm, but the same kind of concept, right? If if Google has now proven the concept that search engine on optimization is a great market, and they figured out how to make good search results, then everybody is going to say, how do they do it? 
their their competitive advantage is that they're the best search engine in the world, right? And if yeah. now if everybody can just simply say, I can I'm going to copy what they did, I'm gonna look and see what they did, I'm going to tweak it slightly you can still patent the tweak. So maybe that's one differentiation in the sense that if you build on top of it and where I always give the example and we'll, we'll wrap it up for, because I'm sure everybody <laughs> yeah. else, but it's I a fun conversation. So I love discussing it, but let's say as an, in your example, one that I think is a little bit easier to grasp is black and white television, right? In the day, back in the day, 50 or hundred years ago, whenever it came out, 75 years ago, I'll guess, they had black and white television, right? And they got a patent on it. And if you wanted to do a black and white television, you had to get there or you had to go through their patent or get a license from them. You had somebody that came along and figured out how to do color television, how to make that better. So they now have a patent that's really good on color television that everybody wants, but it builds on top of the original black and white television. So in that sense, the people that have the black and white, they can continue to have the monopoly on black and white for 20 years. And then after, but the people with color television also have the patent and you, the people can't, the, with the black and white can't make color television. So it creates a, hey, if you build, if you build something, you provide it as a pub, to the public, we'll give you a monopoly for a period of time, but it allows people to know what you're doing and how to do it. So part of the trade-off with patents is that you have to disclose how it works, what, what you're doing, how you're making the decision-making. Right. And so since you're disclosing that to the public, you're giving away your secrets. Now we'll give you a 20-year period where you have that monopoly, but people can start to build on top of that during that 20 years. They can either sell it to you, they can license it, they can make products that go on top of it, and they own those things that they're building on top of. So it's kind of that trade-off. Whether or not it's perfect or not is that you're trying to incentivize people, whether it's software, hardware, mechanical stuff. I think it's kind of the same thing is you're trying to incentivize to people to build those platforms that do make it better and giving them a reward of, hey, you, you will have some way to keep this proprietary for a period of time, such that all of that time, money and effort, because most of the time, especially with software, once you see how somebody's done it, it makes sense, you know, and that's a lot of inventions. Of course, inventions. the magic's gone from it. Yeah, the magic is out. Oh, yeah, I know, you know, it's kind of like the magic, you know, you refer to magic. Once you know how the magic trick is done, you, oh, I could do that. That's really easy. But it's that first person that figures it out that takes all the time and effort to figure it out. And there's, sure. and if you remove that incentive that say, once you figure it out, everybody's going to copy you. Then they're going to say, well, I'm not going to invest millions of dollars or, or you know, time, time, years of my time only to have somebody easily copy me. So that is a long rabbit hole, <laughs> really fun conversation. You it's can really be going for hours and we'd have a great debate. But there's a little bit of your quest, answer to your top intellectual or property question. I hope all the <laughs> viewers enjoyed it. I went on a bit of a rant, but I enjoy it. And it's a fun area to talk So about. Well, thank you again for John for coming on the podcast. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And yeah. wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. It's great to you.